and welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage, passage that catches our eye. We'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. This week's Torah portion is Chukat Balak. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Good to be back with you, Paul. Good to be with you, too, Aaron. I feel like you've had a lot happening this week. Does feel like lots is happening. Lots, a lot is happening. You were your spouse is at camp, and you were going to go camping. I think were those some of the things that happened this week? Or that's true. I did go camping, and Jenny went off to camp, where she's the camp director of Camp Shemriah. Uh, so she's getting things ready for a whole bunch of summer. And maybe we'll hear about it more because I'm also going to be up at camp for Heart to Heart for a couple of weeks. Uh, and maybe we'll record some podcasts live from Camp Shamria, or not live, but from Camp Shamria. <laughs> All of our podcasting is live. If you're hearing this, we got an alert to jump on and have a conversation. <laughs> right, so, yeah. Just for you. <laughs> each, each one is a live one. But uh, no, that's... Lovely, you know, kind of going, getting to go up to camp for a few weeks. So uh, if you're able to swing it, that's great. But if not, we can also just try to do some in advance as well. So don't, don't overdo yourself if you don't need to. Not to worry, audience. We'll figure this out. <laughs> we'll find a way to get these episodes to you. Uh, how's it going with you, Paul? Yeah, I'm doing well. I, uh, stayed out a little bit later than normal yesterday. I, uh, till midnight. Uh, very unusual for me. I don't like staying up past 9.30. Um, but I had some friends from a Jewish leadership program that I did in a lot that all wanted to get together. So it was the nice. Joshua to... Fellowship or the other one? The other one. I know. I, uh, you I didn't mention the name of the Joshua program. one on a previous episode. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I did the Joshua program through UJA. Um, I want to say in 2020, 2020, because I know it was this year COVID-19. Um, and then I did 248 in 2021 or 2022. Yeah, 2022, because the first one was a year and a half. Um, also by UJA. And I also had some of the same people in my course. So I just love Jewish leadership programs, like just, uh, (laughs) Another notch on my belt. But it's also just great to hear about people looking for different ways to bring community. This group was really big on inclusion. I know there was one person doing a project on disability inclusion in the Jewish community, another one on LGBT inclusion at camp. Mm. Um, So, yeah, just really great. It's great to hear. But I ended up up staying late. So uh, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm not fading, but I'm certainly less energetic than I normally am. Yeah, well, we'll have a, a chill, relaxed conversation. Chill and relaxed. Sounds, sounds just like me. Um, <laughs> so let's speak of chill and relaxed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as relaxed as a statue. Uh, why don't we do who uh, cuts bulk? Was it Hukat uh, Balak? Hukat Balak, another double portion. Which I looked it up because I know normally I ask you the etymology of things, but according mm-hmm. to my best friend Chabad.org, Hukat means a statue of the Torah, and Balak mm-hmm. means the king of Moab. So does that sound yes. correct? That's correct. And I think I am 
I've decided we're going to change the name of the one minute summary to an elevator summary. Like, let's say you had to describe the tour portion in an elevator ride, like an elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so this will be an elevator, uh, elevator tour summary. Oh, great. So I am going Bing. to, or what's sorry? the sound that when the door, uh, the elevator, is there a sound when the, I haven't been in an elevator in a while. <laughs> when the door opens, there's a big, a ding. Ding. Yeah. And yeah, yeah the ding when it opens. Ding. You don't use elevators. <laughs> I don't. I'm sure that's not. I'm sure I wasn't an elevator. Just, well, I don't know what. I'm... Some superstition. <laughs> yeah, elevators are uh, suspect places. So I will get into my really quick summary of Chukat. Uh, is it Balak or Balak? Balak. Balak. Okay, sound. Okay. Here I go, about a minute, three, two, one. So in this one, we learn about the laws of the red heifer. And then after 40 years of the desert, uh, people are in the wilderness of Zin and Miriam dies and people want water. Uh, Moses speaks to a rock and wants to get water from it. People get angry, rebellious, uh, and water comes from the stone. Mm. Uh, but God is telling Moses that neither he nor Aaron will make it to the promised land. Aaron dies, uh, and his son takes over. Uh, and then Balak, the king of Moab, summons Balaam to curse the people of Israel. Uh, and he tries to curse them, but he gives them blessings instead. Uh, the people uh, uh, also are enticed to worship the idol pure. And then uh, we start to hear a little bit about Pinchas and the Midianite princess but kind of doesn't go into too much detail. And that's kind of an elevator pitch summary of uh, Kukat Balak. Bing. Bing. (laughs) (laughs) We need to buy some sound effects. You know, I like when I listen to other podcasts, they do that air horn sound. You know? (laughs) Yeah, Um, we need to get some some air horn in here. (laughs) I... Every time I hear an air horn, it's, I just love it. It's I'm not being sarcastic. It's so energizing. Um, so definitely, yeah. Uh, maybe we should look at some some sound effects. Or we can make our own. We could go to an elevator with a sound recorder, get a blow horn, record it. That's true. Let me see. Can I just Google sound effect of an elevator? Thing. Oh, this is something people have looked at before. So, uh, can people hear a computer though if I play the sound effect? Really loudly. Could you hear that? No. Oh, so I guess I can't hear what's coming from the computer. I played a dang. But yeah, so much. These are great parshas. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of good things that happen. We could go in lots of different directions. There are a lot of different directions. We can go in this one. And I saw... Do you have any kind of initial reactions to the Parsha? Things that jumped out to you? Well, I think it's interesting that Aaron and and Miriam both die in this Parsha. Those are like some major important folks. Mm -hmm. So that sticks out to me. And Moses gets his punishments, which also feels significant. A big punishment for what seems like a little thing, right? Yeah. For hitting instead of talking to the rock. 
was anything capturing your attention? You know, so they did capture my attention. Um, I guess part of this Parsha is uh, in a song that we had at Shul. Mm. That's kind oh, of what yeah. me. Because um, I know you had a different passage in mind. But I mean, if I'm honest with the first thing that jumped out to me, yeah. it was, uh, was it, I guess it's sentence five, chapter 24, where they say, this is one of the few ones I can do. He would probably be like, Matovu, Ohalecha, Yaakov, Mishkenotecha, Yisrael. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Nice. Um, because as, uh, as you know, for people who have been to synagogue, in a synagogue that, uh, I think this is in the morning services, we'd hear this part. Yeah. Or I, let, let's set it up a bit because right, I feel like there's both the context in the liturgical frame. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just in the morning. It's supposed to be when you walk into the synagogue and you say these words, how goodly are your tents? Oh, it's like in the same way that uh, Bilam saw the tents of the children of Israel and said, wow, this is amazing. You're supposed to walk into the synagogue and be like, wow, this is amazing. So, so we're supposed to say that every time we enter the synagogue? Yeah, so it's basically like the or that's kind of how it's imagined. It's like early in the service, uh, kind of being like the first impression of being like, oh, this is this is a nice place. That's kind of what the goodly tents are supposed to be. That's beautiful. I've never actually made that a practice. I'm sure someone somewhere is. Maybe I will try that next time I'm in a synagogue, either you know an official one or a, a minion, a gathering place of people. I'm going to try to remind myself to say that. Any place where somebody pitches their tents in prayer. Mm -hmm. Nice little part of Jewish mindfulness, it feels like it could be. Mm -hmm. But maybe let's also set up the biblical context of where this is kind of like alluded to it. But there's this person named Bilam who's blessing the tents of the Israelites in this moment. But uh, the backstory, well, that we heard in the summary, is that Bilam is this Moabite prophet. And so also, so now we're in the Balak section of the double portion. Uh, and it's an interesting, like, switch. It feels very different when you're reading the Torah. It's suddenly, like, we're not, there's not Moses, there's not Aaron, there's, like, not our usual heroes. It's kind of, like, cut away to the Moabites. And the Moabites are, like, quaking in their sandals and, like, oh, no, the Israelites are coming. But... It's, it's mainly this conversation between Balak, who's the king of the Moabites, and Bilam, his prophet, and other messengers that are going around. And we don't even hear, it's like not, not anything about the people of Israel until this like moment at the end where like Bilam spies or spies out or sees the Israelite camp from afar and gives them blessings. Um, but yeah, Balak is like trying to hire this prophet to curse, or in my translation, hex the children of Israel. And like God keeps telling Bilam, where right? it seems like Bilam is a true prophet, right? He's even though he's a non-Israelite prophet, he is communicating with the divine in a way that the Torah thinks is real. And the rabbis even, right, make his words into part of our prayers. It's like something also very nice and elevating. Being like, yeah, there's prophecy and holiness and all the nations. 
it's funny. Like, uh, I remember the story from, you know, being in synagogue <laughs> and I always imagined Balaam or like, at least Balaam is how I see it spelled. You're saying kind of Bilam, like that. Oh, it's, it's, it's true. I think that's just the transliteration thing. In Hebrew, it's Bilam and in English, it's Balaam. Bilam. Well, I'll try to stick to the Hebrew one. Uh, Bilam. Uh, I always imagine him as a bit of a goof. Because I'm like, I imagine him kind of like Jim Carrey in Liar Liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember that scene where he, his son wishes that he, spoiler, his son wishes that he could no longer lie. So you see this one scene where he's trying to lie and say, like, write a lie in a pen, kind of like, this is a pencil, but he can't put say, help say, but this is a pen. So imagine Bilam being kind of like, curse, curse, <laughs> cutie tense, like just some <laughs> other, like, expression comes out like, yeah he can't help himself so i know it's like this like important passage with a lot of gravitas that we say in our uh synagogue prayers but i was just like just imagine kind of like this really really kind of physical comedy humor moment that kind of like he's trying so hard to hex the israelites mm-hmm. but instead this uh kind of funny blessing comes out that he just can't help himself yeah and i do feel like there probably is supposed to be some humor but it's not just that he can't help himself. Like he does, Bilam keeps saying to Balak, he's like, you know, you can pay me all the money in the world that you want, but I can't do, if God doesn't want the curse, if God wants a blessing, I have to do the blessing. He like says that repeatedly. And Balak's like, no, we'll try again over here and try again over here and sacrifice these seven cows. And like, it's not that he's like really, he's like, I know that I can't do this without God. So like, it's not going to work. He does have some like awareness, which is also interesting. So it's interesting, yeah, that someone who is practicing a different religion, like, because uh, the Moabite God is what, like, Chemesh or something like that? Um, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm like, how would he know about that God, God of the Moabites? I'll just Google it. Um, Chemosh is the God of the Moabites. Um, right, and at the end of the Parsha, as you alluded, right, they... It's maybe the Midianites and the Moabites get together to get the Israelites to attach themselves to Baal Peor. Which is just another in the pantheon of those Moabite deities. Yeah. Because, but I think that this is, I forget the word for this, but there is, but maybe they're just in this mindset of like, oh, okay, there's, well, this God does this stuff and this God does this stuff. There's just like a different arrangement of gods that are doing different things. And maybe it's not hard for BLM to imagine, okay, well, there's this God who's talking to me in my dreams, telling me to bless this people. Belpeor tells me to, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's real what the rabbis think worshiping Belpeor is, but it like involves fecal. Anyway, wow. this is God who wants me to do that stuff, and the Chomish wants me to do whatever. So, you know, like, could, it seems hard yeah, to understand. For all it, there's no, like, um, there's no issue with imagining, you know, like, oh, you know, sure, this Elohim might be a great God, too. Like, um, and because, you know, I have heard, you know, mm-hmm. at least from Wikipedia, that a lot of times where Jewish people lived in polytheistic places, like, uh, there was sometimes less persecution because people are like, yeah, sure. Like your God, my God, we've all got a, a yeah. God happening. So like, it just we felt less, uh, I guess 
combative in a way against the major culture. Yeah, there's both like the polytheistic context and the, the I, f- I should also look up this word, but really what I'm trying to refer to is even the Torah, it does sometimes like there's glimpses of it in the Psalms and, and other places that at some point the belief was just that God, like the Israelite God was just better than the other gods, right? It's not that there weren't just like that. We're like, we're worshiping this God because this God is the strongest and the best and the coolest. And your other gods are like, shvach. they're not so great. And I think that probably was like part of the evolution from polytheism to monotheism. Is like first yeah, polytheism. And then, and then henotheism, I guess henotheism, uh, that's it. Yeah. your God is great, but your knowledge might be other gods. And then, yeah. you know, uh, monotheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, even God being called Elohim, like plural, like, oh, you know, you could imagine some right. earlier draft where Matt perhaps are referring to gods. Yeah. You know? And then they're like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll keep this in, but we'll say it's refer- referring to one person. Mm-hmm. And just some other interesting stuff about Belong to, like you said, that he was a prophet. Um, and I guess he's one of the few Gentile prophets in the Torah, from what I saw. Like, I think yeah. it was him and Job. Was it Yonah, maybe? Well, sort of the Gentile prophets. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I guess Job. Well, is Job a prophet? Job is a non-Jewish character. Feels like also Yitro uh, seems to be at least a Kohen, a priest of Midian, and is not Israelite. Okay, I found it. So according to Baba Batra, <laughs> this is actually really funny. I thought I read this earlier. So there's seven Gentile prophets. Oh. Balaam and his dad, they are, uh, Job, and then Job's four friends. It's kind of oh. like, <laughs> they were just like, We need Job, seven. We only have two. <laughs> Job and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Josie. And the pussycats, you know. <laughs> well, in the book of Job is like structured. The bulk of it is this conversation between Job and his friends, like trying to understand divine wisdom. It's like a wisdom literature sort of book. So it does feel like really Job is more compelling than all of his friends. But it feels like they're kind of talking in a similar register about like the nature of wisdom and the nature of God. So it doesn't like reading it that way. It sounds like, oh, they're just throwing in the friends. but from the book, it does make sense to include, they are like in conversation at a certain like level with each other. Can you believe like this group of five friends and they're like, Oh, we're all prophets. Like (laughs) I I would be taking that in every day. Like, Hey, prophet crew, like (laughs) let's go, uh, prophesize together. You know, it would just be such a, Uh it's something I'd have to take in every day. Um, yeah. Like like in the prophets, no less. Yeah, there's something kind of nice about the social piece of it. In later in the Nevi'im and the prophets, in the book of books of prophets, there is like reference to these things like the Bnei Hanevi'im, the son, the children of the prophets. And it seems like there are like kind of prophetic schools where prophets hang out together. Uh, so interesting, kind of like a Jedi Academy in Star yeah. Wars, like uh... right. <laughs> We don't get so much like information about what's happening there, but they're alluded to that it doesn't only have to be uh, lonely work. Yeah, I mean, 
in one of the Midrashim we talked about way back, way back in Bereshit, uh, in Genesis, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, one of the stories, I think, Rivka goes to see a prophet um, mm-hmm. in a house of learning. Um, yeah, the yeshiva of like, Shem and Ever. Sorry? I think she goes to visit the, right, the rabbis imagine this thing, the yeshiva, because right, they're projecting their understanding of the world back into the biblical ancestors of Shem, who is one of the children of Noah, and Ever, who's like a, a few generations later. I'm like, oh, well, these are good people. What do they do? They like live for a long time. They like started a, an academy, right? An academy of like prophetic good people. And like, why don't we go to rabbis to like prophesize for us? Like, you know, and Aaron, you being in rabbinic school, like, did they did they teach you to prophesize? Like, because uh, isn't prophecy good, but seeing to the future is bad? But I'm like, what's so different about it? And my rabbinical school, they have not taught yet taught me how to become a prophet. <laughs> but it's on the last that's, day, they that's that. the last day they like imbue you with divine spirit, and then you go off and prophesy. <laughs> But a little bit, there are some people, like, especially, who, I haven't had him as a teacher, but I've encountered him through uh, Renewal Spaces, Rabbi Arthur Waskow, who's like all about speaking in a prophetic voice. And like, really what we need is like a certain like outpouring of divine uh, will to like get the world on a better track. And he really speaks powerfully about like social justice issues that like are relevant to the world. and. There are people that I think are saying that, yeah, we need to have, like the prophets were always railing on about social justice for God's sake. And that could be something I, I am interested in people stepping into that more. It's not but like yeah, total register. We consider a prophecy mm-hmm. for today. Um, I was kind of almost interpreting it more as like uh, also intuition. Like sometimes we can feel things or understand things. Yeah. So it's hard to put the words, but we just know that there's some sort of like leap between our feeling and what we feel we need to say or the outcome or what we're looking mm. for. Like intuition itself is sort of this, yeah. like your gut could be kind of a, a prophecy as well, maybe on a smaller scale. Um, I definitely see, I guess, what you mean about social justice conversations being kind of a prophecy, although it's challenging. Like, and I'm sure this happened a lot in the biblical world. Like, we hear competing prophecies all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, which, which prophecy do you listen to? Um, yeah. And I think being guided by the gut or intuition is, could be a important part of that. Like, well, I, my gut says that this is the right prophecy. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I feel like, I feel like my wrapping up voice is coming out, but I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we looked a little bit about, uh, well, I'm the prophet and, uh, how he fits into the concept of prophecy. And connecting it back to a modern prophet or prophet, the prophecy voice, and how we can also look at prophecy in our own life through either the lens of social justice or through intuition. So I think yeah. we were able to connect this back to Judaism and our own lives we <laughs> through a passage that caught our eye after a light dive. <laughs> We've accomplished our mission that we said in the opening, your opening phrase so i think we've really done a good job this week i said it i did it it's manifested you know that's a it's here that's a prophecy <laughs> you're the prophet oh, there it is me and aaron wrote a song once called prophecy 
ones mm-hmm. being um, last year. So uh, definitely. And if you want to hear the song, you can join our Patreon, which we don't have. <laughs> join our Patreon for discounted merch, secret songs, and you can watch us try different ice cream flavors um, and taste test it, you know? Um it's something that you know our our Patreon patrons would really be interested in. Let us know what you'd like to see in our Patreon by writing to us at I think I'll be podcast at gmail is our podcast at gmail.com. You let us know and you know the kind of content you're looking for. Uh <laughs> we'll listen to that Patreon. But until that time, um I guess we could say that I'm I'm still Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg, testing lots of ice cream. Until next time. Oh.